0: Well, today and possibly for the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about destiny, destiny. And I want to begin by looking at how our dictionaries define that word and see if it resonates with what comes to your mind when you think of the word destiny. One definition of destiny is that it's simply the the things that will happen in the future to a person, to a group, to whatever. So it's those things that are going to happen in the future is one definition. Another definition in the dictionary of the word destiny is that it's a predetermined course of events. Now it's important you pay attention to that first part. A predetermined course of events often held to be an irresistible power or agency. It's things that's going to unfold and there's nothing you can do about it. I want to begin by asking the question, is everything in life predetermined? Some people think it is. I don't believe the scripture teaches that. I don't think everything is predetermined. So I want to talk about destiny from a biblical perspective because the Bible does teach that God is at work in this world and in history and he's moving history toward a destiny, toward an ultimate outcome. There's a future that God has determined and history's going to end up there. The Bible also teaches that God knows our future. He knows my future and He knows your future. Now there's a difference between knowing our future and predetermining our future. The Bible teaches that God has a plan for each of us. But here's what a lot of people miss. The Bible also teaches that the decisions you and I make in life, the choices we make along the way, play a role in where we end up play a role in what many people often think of as destiny. The decisions you and I make, our choices, play a role in determining whether or not we experience the future God planned for us. Whether or not we end up living our life in the will of God and ending up where the will of God wanted us to end up. And one of the best examples of that in the Bible is Found in the Old Testament in the person of Joseph. So this morning we're going to look at his story and learn some things about arriving where God has planned for us to arrive. Now, let's just be honest. None of us are going to be perfect along the way, make the perfect decision, the right decision every single time. But there are some lessons about how we approach life and how we approach making decisions that do enable us to end up where God wanted us to end up. Now, Joseph, as you'll remember, Was a Jew who ended up being sold into slavery as a teenager because he was betrayed by his brothers and spent several years in prison in Egypt but eventually ended up being the second most powerful person in Egypt he married he had a family and in his new role as a leader in Egypt those of you who know the Bible story Remember that he ended up saving Egypt from famine and from starvation. But he also ended up saving the Jewish people from famine and from starvation. Saved his family, the very family that years before had betrayed him. And in the New Testament book of Hebrews, chapter 11 is often called the, the Faith Hall of Fame, listing men and women in the Old Testament who had great faith, who are examples to us of great faith. And Joseph is in that list as a man as a person of great faith. So what I want us to do is I just want us to track his story. This man who ended up in a great place with a family that he loved, children that he he gave Jewish names indicating that at the very end he was still faithful to God. A man that God used to save two nations including the Jewish people. A man who's an example of reconciliation and forgiveness when relationships have been severed, great man of faith. Follow his story and say, God, teach us some things that can help us do life in such a way that we end up where we're supposed to end up. Because your future is not predetermined. Some may think so, but the Scripture says no. You have a role to play in it. Your choices, your decisions, the way you approach life, the way you approach things plays a big part in where you end up. And we can learn from Joseph. Now, his story starts in chapter 37, and I'll have you look in chapter 39 in a moment. But back in chapter 37 of the book of Genesis, Joseph is a teenager. He's a 17-year-old boy. He has 11 older brothers. And, of course, he is his father's favorite. In fact, the Bible says that his father, Israel, who's also you know, known as Jacob, loved loved Joseph more than he loved the other 11 boys. Now, when, when a parent loves one child more than the other and shows it, what does that do in the family? Well, it created some problems. So Joseph's 11 older brothers were jealous. In fact, listen, Genesis says not only were they jealous of their younger brother, they hated him. And it tells us they couldn't even speak to him Kindly, In other words, every time they said something to him, it was an argument. It was, a, it was a, an attack. It was a put down. The relationship between Joseph and his brothers was not healthy. And much of it went back to the way their father treated him as the favorite. And in chapter 37 of Genesis, Joseph has two dreams. And you'll remember in one of those dreams, um, they're out, he and his brothers are out in the field, Gathering grain, and, and, and they bundle bundled them together in sheaves. Think of a bunch of corn stalks tied together. And they're, they're standing up, and, and all of a sudden, Joseph's sheep stands up, erect, straight, and his brothers bow to him, bow to his. And this 17-year-old teenager is not very prudent, so he tells his brothers about that dream and about their sheaves of grain bowing to his. Well, they got mad at him. They—they. They, what, what do you think? We're going to serve you? You're going to be our master? Then he has a second dream. And in the second dream, the sun and the moon and the stars all bow to Joseph. And he tells this dream not only to his brothers but to his father. And his father even gets mad and says, What, do you, do you think your mother and I and all your brothers are going to bow to you and be subservient to you? And the brothers hated him. Even more. Then that day came when the 11 brothers were watching the family's flock about 40 miles from home. So, a couple days' walk. And Joseph goes to check on them. And the short version of the story is they're angry with Joseph and they're two days away from home. Now's their time to get even. And, and, and their anger, all the bitterness, it, it it takes over. And they sell Joseph as a slave to a, a passing caravan of traitors on, on their way to Egypt. And they take Joseph's coat, dip it in blood, go back home and tell their father he had been killed by a wild animal. Now we pick the story up in Genesis 39 if you have your Bible. And in verse 1 it says that Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, captain of the bodyguard. So Potiphar was an Egyptian soldier of some prestige. And he buys Joseph, this 17-year-old teenager, from this passing caravan, buys him as a slave. And the story continues in chapter 39 in verse 2. Telling us that the Lord was with Joseph. Now, whether or not God is with you is not determined by what's going on with you. Things are going well, God must be with me. Things are going bad, God's not with me. No, that's how man thinks, it's not true. As a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus said what? I will never leave you, I will never See, there's never a moment in life as a believer in Jesus Christ when he's not with you. If if your faith is the type that bases the presence of God on the circumstances, then you're always going to struggle with your faith. God's presence is not determined by what's happening in your life. So verse 2, while Joseph is a 17-year-old slave, God is with him. He became a successful man. Now, that doesn't mean he was free. The Lord, listen, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. What it's telling us is that even as a slave, God was with Joseph, and everything Joseph did, God blessed so that it worked really well. And his master began to notice. Look at verse 4. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant, and he made him overseer of his house and all that he owned. He put in his charge. He was the steward of his estate. In other words, Joseph was elevated above all the other slaves this wealthy, prestigious Egyptian military officer owned. He's still a slave. He's still a slave. Okay, So he's not free. But he's not out in the field in the hot sun doing all that hard work. He's elevated to a position where this... This Potiphar, this Egyptian soldier, has so much confidence in Joseph that he puts him in charge of his of his household affairs. Still a slave, but it's an easier life than it could have been. God's God's with Joseph and he's helping Joseph. Now story continues down in verse six, toward the end of verse six, in your Bible says Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. When it says he was handsome in form, It means he was in great shape he had a six-pack he looked good okay and he was also attractive he was handsome great shape and Potiphar's wife took notice because Potiphar wasn't home all the time she was attracted to Joseph and tried to seduce him and so in chapter 39 verses 9 and 10 She's, she's been seducing Joseph, and, and the Bible says she tried to do it several times. But notice, notice how he responded in verses nine and ten. He said, "There's no one greater in this house than I." And you're talking about her husband, his master has withheld nothing from me. In other words, I'm in a position of status as a slave. I mean, I'm still a slave, but my situation's better than all the other slaves. How then? Can I do this great evil? I mean, she, she she, over and over, day after day, this chapter tells us, tried to seduce him when her husband wasn't home. How can I do this great evil and sin against God? And then look at the next verse. And She spoke to Joseph. How often? So this wasn't a one-time proposition. This was, a, this was an ongoing seduction or attempt at it. But what, what, what about Joseph? He did not what? See, when you start listening to the wrong voice, you're already in trouble. When, when you start listening to the voices that are trying to get you to run contrary to the plan of God for your life, contrary to what God says is good in life, that's already the first step down the wrong path. Because ultimately, whatever you listen to, whatever you focus on, whatever you stare at, look at, pay attention to, becomes stronger in your life. And here's this. Here's Joseph. He's a a young man. And he gets it. He says, I can't can't play with that kind of fire if if I'm going to live out the will of God in my life because he still remembers, even though he's a slave, he still remembers God had given him those those two dreams, that there was a future for him. You can't just listen to the voice that's immediately in front of you if you're going to live in the will of God. But there's something else about that. Temptation, evil, and and, and the goal of temptation, the goal of evil, the goal of of everything Satan does in our lives is to keep us from experiencing the destiny God has for us. See, our choices impact our future. And, And if you make choices A, you're going to end up over here. And if you make choices B, you're going to end up Over there, and Satan knows that, evil knows that, sin knows that, and and the desire, the goal is to get you to make choices to end up somewhere other than where God wants you to be. In a very real way, you choose the destiny of your life, and evil, temptation, many times are very, very persistent. Very determined. Day after day after day after day. You you think Satan's going to give up on you because you say no to him one time? Evil, sin, temptation, very persistent, very determined. May not get you in your teens, but maybe in your 20s. May not get you in your 20s, but maybe in your 30s. May not get you in your 30s, but maybe in your 40s. May not get you in your 40s, but maybe in your 50s. May not get you in your 50s, but maybe in your 60s. May not get you in your 60s, but maybe in your 70s. May not get you in your 70s, but in your 80s. Determined. In the Gospels, when Jesus resisted the temptations of the devil, the Bible says the the devil left him for a season, not permanently. Determined. You and I, as followers of Christ, have to be just as determined in our faithfulness and obedience and commitment. And Joseph is a great example of that. Now, let me summarize what Joseph does here. In this instance, when when Potiphar's wife is attempting to seduce him, Joseph says no, look at this, says no to her, and in so doing, no to sin and no to Satan. And yes to God. Who you say no to matters. Who you say yes to matters if you're going to reach the destiny God has for you in life. And Joseph got it right. He said no to her and yes to God. Now, what would have happened, let's use our our holy imaginations. What would have happened if Joseph had done just the opposite? What would have happened if Joseph had said yes to Potiphar's wife and in so doing said no to God? Well, I don't know exactly because that's not what happened, so we're not told. But there's a pretty good possibility that Joseph would not have ended up where he ultimately ended up because he would not have found favor with God. See, you and I, you, you and I we, we don't want to learn everything the hard way, do we? Huh? Well, why is it as, as human beings that too often we want to learn everything the hard way? Let me ask you a question. The situation that Joseph was facing with Potiphar's wife was it a temptation? Or a test? Which was it? Temptation or a test? What's your answer? It was both. It was both. Evil, sin, Satan, Potiphar's wife tempting him to to do wrong, to make a, a bad decision. God testing him, preparing him for the future that God had for him. Testing him to see, is this young man someone I can count on for the long haul? Last Sunday I said it that every situation in life is at the same moment both a temptation and a test. It's like the two sides of the coin, heads and tails. And you're either going to give in to the temptation and sin and fail the test or you're going to pass the test and become stronger in your faith and have more favor from God And therefore overcome the temptation. Every circumstance in life is both simultaneously. And so it was in this moment with Joseph. Now brothers and sisters, there's no shortcut to living in the will of God. Potiphar's wife all of a sudden starts feeling rejected and And uh, angry and insulted and bitter. And so she makes this false accusation against Joseph. First to the servants, to the other slaves, and then to her husband Potiphar that Joseph had attempted to rape her. And Potiphar becomes angry. Joseph is thrown in prison. Now think about this. Joseph did what was right. Didn't he? said yes to God, no to to, to sin, no to the wife. He did what was right, and yet there was no immediate reward. He did what was right, ended up in prison. Sometimes people get discouraged from following Christ and doing what is right because things don't happen on their timeline. Well, I, I obeyed God, but it didn't go the way I thought it was going to go, it went bad. Joseph did what was right, he obeyed God, and there's no immediate reward. In fact, immediately in front of him, after doing what was right, there was more pain. because he'd been elevated as a still a slave, but he wasn't working out in the fields and now it's even worse. He's a slave who's in prison. some of us give up because god doesn't do something immediately on the timeline that that we've laid out to god you've got to you you have to meet this timeline god before i'm going to trust you and pursue your future obedience is not always fun and easy but you see faith means you have to look beyond just today Faith means you look beyond what is immediately in front of you. And you look from a different perspective. So Joseph is now in prison. Has God abandoned him? Well, look in in, in chapter 39 at verse 21. The Lord, here it is again, the Lord was with Joseph. And extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. So here he is because... God is with him, and he's still faithful to God. Even after this big blow, I mean, this, this, this tragic turn of events, he's still faithful. And so even in prison now, God elevates him to the chief role, a helper within the prison system. God's not forgotten him. And you get to chapter forty in Genesis, and Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, throws two of his personal servants into that same prison with Joseph. One of those servants was his chief cupbearer, the guy who tasted all the wine before the king drank it, make sure I would, you know, spike it and kill him. And the other one was his chief baker, the guy who cooked all of his meals. And both of them end up in the dungeon with Joseph. And while they're there, they have a dream. These two guys. And Joseph interprets the dreams. And he says to the cupbearer, Hey, you're going to be restored to your former position serving Pharaoh. And he says to the baker, You're going to die. And that's exactly what happened. And, and Joseph, Joseph asked the cupbearer who's restored to his place of service with a, with the Pharaoh in verse 14 of chapter 40. He said, Remember me. Don't forget me. Keep me in mind when all goes well with you and do a kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh. Makes sense. Wouldn't you ask a favor like that of somebody you just, you know, would it make sense? But look what happened. The cupbearer is restored to his former job but in verse 23, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph but forgot him. And we learn later in this chapter two years without mentioning Joseph. Now, now, are you tracking this? Joseph is betrayed by his brother, sold as a slave. He's bought by someone else, Potiphar, and eventually is elevated to, you know, at least a easier position as a slave in the house. Then he's falsely accused of rape, which he wasn't guilty of, and he's thrown in prison. And then he's elevated up to, at least he's got a better position in prison, and he helps these two guys, he helps this guy, and the guy forgets all about him. Now, how would you be feeling right about now? What would your emotions be? What would your attitude be? What would your thinking be right about now? God, you've forgotten me. Would you be discouraged? Would you would you would you give up? See what's interesting to me is the cupbearer forgot Joseph, but God did not. Because now you jump down to chapter 41. And God says, okay, if the cupbearer is not going to remember you, Joseph, I'm going to take care of you. And so so God gives Pharaoh two dreams. See, God's always working in places you don't know anything about. That's why faith has to see beyond what you see. God's not limited to your circle, to your place. God's working in places you don't know anything about at that moment. He gives Pharaoh two dreams. And one of those dreams, these cows come up out of the Nile River. It's out of the Nile because that water was the source of their existence, their crops and their livestock. And these, these seven very healthy cows come out of the river and then all of a sudden here's these seven skinny cows and suddenly the skinny cows eat the fat cows. And Pharaoh says, I don't have a clue what that means. Then he has a second dream about you know this 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 harvest, this crop, seven ears. I'm going to call it ears of corn because that's what we're familiar with. Really full and juicy and plump and over here seven skinny ones. They're, you know... Not any good. You wouldn't want to cook them. And all of a sudden the bad corn, the bad ears, those seven, seven ugly ears eat the seven full luscious ears of corn. And Pharaoh was troubled by his dreams he, because dreams were a big deal to people in that time. What does it mean? And none of his advisors, magicians, n- no one in his royal court could interpret the dream for them. And suddenly the cupbearer says, Aha! And he he reminds Pharaoh, you you remember when you put me down down there in the prison, there was this this Jewish boy down there. And I had a dream, and he he interpreted it for me, and he interpreted the dream for the baker. and, 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 And Pharaoh, exactly what he said would happen, is what happened. Maybe he can help you. And so Pharaoh has Joseph brought to the court. And Joseph interprets Pharaoh's dreams. Now, Bear with me a minute. What if, what if the cupbearer had told Pharaoh about Joseph when he first got out of prison? You think Pharaoh would have been interested? I don't know. Two years earlier, when, when the cupbearer was first released from prison, Pharaoh didn't have any need for Joseph. I can easily imagine Pharaoh would have just ignored him, paid no attention to it. So what? Big deal. But two years later, Pharaoh needed Joseph. Do do you understand that God sees things you don't and God's timing is sometimes different than ours? But because we're short we're, we can be so short-sighted we we give up before we ever get to the timing of God. before we ever reach the place we can experience and realize the plan of God. And so Joseph says to Pharaoh, it means there's going to be seven years of fat cows and luscious corn. There's going to be seven years of great harvest followed by seven years of skinny cows, seven years of, of bad corn, seven years of horrible famine. And and Pharaoh, what you need to do is put somebody in charge of this project and during the seven years of plenty, store a bunch of it. Put it aside so you can be ready for the seven hard years of famine and Pharaoh says hey that makes a lot of sense that's a good idea and Joseph you're the man for the job and puts Joseph in charge of it and elevates him to a position in his court allows Joseph to get married and he has children how much time passed from the time Joseph as a 17 year old boy had those two dreams that he that he Told his brothers about, and the day Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream and was elevated out of the dungeon, out of the prison to a place of promise. How much time passed? 13 years. Joseph is 30 years old when this, this latest event takes place. 13 years of disappointment. Thir- 13 years of betrayal 13 years of struggle 13, 13 years of hardship can you imagine someone giving up in that 13 years can, can you imagine someone saying god enough is enough god why 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 within that 13 can you imagine And yet through all of it, Joseph kept his eye on God. God was with him, and he was faithful. In fact, when, when Pharaoh first brought him up and said, Hey, I heard you can interpret dreams, Joseph said, No, not me. I can't, but God can. In chapter 41, verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh favorable answers. It's God who's doing this. It's not me. What does that tell you about his heart and his, and his mindset and his view of life? Look in chapter 1 at verse 25. Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told Pharaoh what he's about to do. God's showing you the future. And then verse 28, God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do again. Uh, always, always keeping his eyes, always keeping his focus on God. And in, in, in uh, verse 32, you know, because God gave you the dream twice, repeating the dream, hey, God's going to do this and it's about to happen, so you better get ready. Always always showing his confidence in God. I mean, the first time, he, he's, he's out of prison. He's out of prison, standing before Pharaoh. Here's his chance. And yet he keeps his focus on God. Great lesson there for us, isn't it? Great lesson for us. Well, let me wrap this up. Joseph gets married, has two boys. He becomes a powerful man in Egypt. Nine years later, okay, so now he's 39 years old. Two years into the famine, he encounters the 11, his brothers who had betrayed him because famines come to the promised land. And they've come to Egypt to get some food because they, they've heard there's food down there. And the story's back and forth, back and forth. But in the end, Joseph and his brothers are reconciled. And, and then they and their families and his father, who thought he'd been dead all these years, they all move to Egypt. And Pharaoh and Joseph take care of them. And everything goes well for his family while Joseph is alive. And, and the last passage I want you to look at that summarizes the way Joseph approached all of this In chapter 50, verses 19 and 20. Look at it. Joseph said to them, to his brothers, do not be afraid. And they were concerned how he was going to treat them. Do not be afraid. For am I in God's place? It's a a rhetorical question. It's the idea that demands the answer, yes, I'm in God's place. He said, you meant this for evil. But God... Used it for good. When when you sold me as a slave, you were angry and doing something evil. But God took it, twisted it, turned it, and and, and God did something good through it to preserve a lot of people's lives that would have died during the famine. You see, let me give you three points real quick. You want to live in God's destiny, God's will, the future God has for you? Joseph always believed God had a future for him and never gave up on that. Do you believe that? Do you believe God has a future for you? Do you believe God has a plan for your life? Well, you're never going to experience it if you give up on it and stop believing. Joseph believed that. Number two, when you live in the will of God as a believer, you end up having a positive impact on the people around you. Joseph, until Potiphar's wife messed everything up, brought God's blessings to Potiphar's house. When he was in prison, he brought blessings to some of the inmates and to the chief jailer. He brought blessings to the whole nation of Egypt, saved many of them from starvation. He saved the Jewish people from starvation. He even saved his own family from starvation, the family that had betrayed him. When you live in the will of God for your life, you always bring blessings not just to yourself but to others who are around you. And when you run from the will of God... You do just the opposite. Not just to yourself, but to those around you. Here's the third and final point. Anger and rebellion, listen. Anger and rebellion always defeat you. Whereas faith and obedience will ultimately bring victory. Joseph... he could have been like so many young men and young women. Mad at the world. He, he, I got an awful family. God, you're letting me down. Every, every time I turn around, somebody's betrayed me. Joseph could have become one of those wild young ones who shook his fist in the face of God, become promiscuous, a drug addict, an alcoholic, said life's not worth living. He could have become one of those countless, countless casualties in our culture today. Because when you live, whatever your age, when you live out of anger, when you live out of bitterness, when when you live out of all that It always ends up destroying you and negatively affecting those around you. But when you when you live through the circumstances of life, whatever they are, with faith and obedience, it changes the future, it changes your destiny. So what about you? Are you saying yes to God? and no to those things contrary to what God wants for your life? Or are you saying no to God and yes to all the things trying to pull you away in the wrong direction? Are you saying yes to God and no to hate and anger, bitterness, jealousy, envy? What you say yes to and what you say no to determines your destiny determines your future.